are listening to a Hive Talk Live stinger. Buzz Buzz. Welcome in, Hornets fans, to another Saturday sit-down here on Hive Talk Live. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. I am Doug Branson. We've got a great interview with Chris Barnwall. He is the uh, one of the editors of AtTheHive.com, and, and we go strictly basketball. We don't mess around. We just talk about in-depth basketball stuff, so you'll really enjoy that. A good recap of those first two games. The Hornets are have fallen to 0-2, but there are a lot of positives to take from the team because I think there's there's a lot of heart with this team right now because in both of these games against the Heat and the Hawks, they could have easily, easily laid down, but they didn't. And I think there's an adjustment that's being made with everyone trying to figure out how to play with one another. A lot of new additions, Nick Batum, Jeremy Lin, Frank Kaminsky, Jeremy Lamb. And when you lose your captain on the offense and the defense, really, in MKG, I think you're going to naturally struggle to figure out. I mean, they don't call them glue guys for no reason. And so the Hornets are trying to piece this thing together without glue. And I think it's going to take time. But they haven't lost heart. They just have to mentally get there. And that goes to transition defense, to turnovers. You've got to put the mental aspects of the game with the effort, with the heart. And I think the Hornets are going to be okay if they can do that. And there are a lot of smart guys on this team. So we'll see. But again, Chris Barnwall and I, we talk strictly basketball. So for the intro, I thought we would do a little personal anecdote. You may notice, you with keen ears, that this episode sounds a little different. And that's because I'm coming to you, and some of you are going, I don't I don't hear anything. That's fine. But I'm coming to you from the, the home studio, not the, I'm going Mark Marin here. I'm going from the garage. I'm not going from the Gittimer.com studios, our new studios. And why am I doing that, you may ask? And the reason is, uh, my dog is sick, and and he's the mascot for this show, uh, Hugo the dog, and he's sick, and and I have to keep an eye on him. And and here's why: I came home, and we we cage Hugo for the time being. He's under two years old. He's a monster. He tears up everything in his path. So we we keep him in a nice cage. It's a nice. There's a lot of amenities in this cage. A lot of things to play with. You know, it's not some... It, it's not like a kennel. Don't judge me. Um, but I came home, and a couple of days ago, uh, Hugo got into some chicken bones. And I won't say how, because it was my fault. But he got into these chicken bones, and if you own a dog, you know that chicken bones are bad for animals because of cooked chicken bones, like cooked chicken wings, because they splinter in their stomach, or they can, and it will cause discomfort, bleeding, etc., etc., down the line. Normally, it's not as bad for big dogs, and Hugo is like a German Shepherd mix, so he's a little bigger. So I'm not, you know, I'm not terribly concerned about his health. He seems fine. He's still getting into the trash. He's fine. That's when you know Hugo's not fine. If he's not destroying something then then I can, I'm concerned but he so I come home 
and he has somehow managed to, and and I'm sorry for those of you who are, are maybe eating while listening to this podcast. I apologize in advance, but I'll keep it as clean as I can. But he managed to defecate through his cage and onto the carpet. And so I had a massive cleaning job on my hands yesterday. And so there was no way I was leaving to go to the studio and put poor Hugo up and risk another. This was amazing, folks. I don't even know how he did it, how he managed to do it through the cage. It was honestly like I wasn't mad at Hugo. I was impressed. It took it took some positioning. It took some thought for this dog to pull this off. And I was impressed. I was upset that I had to clean it up. And of course, you know, Hugo lays on the bed and wags his tail the entire time. And the dog doesn't know. The dog can't put the pieces together. And I know that. I mean, we like to anthropomorphize animals and say, oh, he knows. He knows what he did. No, they don't know what they did. He was just happy that I was home. But, but of course, I look at him. He's wagging his tail. I'm sitting there picking up his poop. And I'm like, this this jerk. Anyhow. I just wanted to give you an update because he is the mascot of this show. He's fine. He's laying beside me right now as we record this little intro. And he's fine. He's going to be fine. But that's the reason that I'm recording out of the home studio. Let's talk about the Hornets. Actually, let's talk about November 7th. There won't be a Saturday sit-down. I won't be doing it from the home studio because we will be live. November 7th, next Saturday, the Hornets play at San Antonio. We will be live at Fitzgerald's Pub in Uptown Charlotte on 5th Street, right down the road from Time Warner Cable Arena, part of the Charlotte versus Everybody party, expo, whatever word you want to use to describe it. It's being put on by Bring Back the Buzz. There's going to be Charlotte art. There's going to be prizes. Fitzgerald's is really cool because they're they're opening up this little upper bar area that's away from the main bar, and there's a lot of Hornet stuff there, a lot of bobbleheads, a lot of Hornet's art. And, And it's a place for Hornet's fans to go to watch games, to have a good time. And November 7th, you can check it out. You can check us out, shake our hands, talk to us about the Hornets. We'll be there at 6.30. Our show starts at 7, ends at 8. Both David Walker and I will be there, and producer Katie. And it's going to be a good time, so you should come out. Really good time. I don't know if, you know, it's our first remote show. So I don't know how well it's going to go. But we're going to have a good time regardless. That's what I've promised myself. No matter how it goes, we're going to have a good time. And I feel that way about the Hornets season as well. No matter what the record is, I think fans are going to have a good time. Because this team right now is fourth in percentage of points scored on three-pointers. Fourth. That's amazing. When you think about last year. When you think about last season. So this team's going to be a lot more fun. Jeremy Lin is a lot more fun. Nick Batum, when he's not turning the ball over, a lot more fun. 
Kimball Walker's always been fun. Look at the end of that Atlanta game. 94-97, you knew the ball was going to Kimba. And he got a great look without a timeout. Length of the floor. Or excuse me, no, three quarters of the floor. But two dribbles, understood how much time he had left, and got a great look. It didn't go in, but it was a great look. And the fans were excited. I was excited. Imagine what they'll do at home. I think the Hornets are going to come back to Charlotte on Sunday, tomorrow, and be re-energized. Be refocused. That's really the most important part, because they've been energized. They've been, the effort has been there. But I think they will be focused on not turning the ball over, playing better transition defense, which, again, Chris and I get into a lot in the interview, why that is. There's specific things that are going on with the transition defense. It's not necessarily, oh, guys are not getting back. Oh, guys are not hustling. I don't think that's it. I think when you really look at the tape, there's something else going on. And we talk about it in this interview. Make sure you check out AtTheHive.com, by the way. Our home. Our home for this year and, and moving forward in the future. We love it. And we love all of the writing that happens. I mean, I learn so much. You know, we do our own research for the show. But but reading Chris and reading Nick Denning and reading uh, Josh Priemski and reading all of these guys, Austin Peters, so many guys on this roster, so many smart basketball minds, and reading those guys helps us prepare for the show. One more note before we kick to this interview. I just want to say a big thanks to the fans because we're almost at 10,000 listens for the month of October. What? And in podcast land, 10,000 listens is a major first milestone for a variety of reasons. But the fact that we're even close in a month where there's only two games have been played, that's amazing. That's a testament to not what we've done. It's a testament to what you guys want. You guys want Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. You want in-depth analysis. You want hyper-localized coverage of your sports teams. And... We appreciate every single listen, every single tweet, every single loop on our vine. We appreciate it. We understand it. We recognize it. And I just want to say thank you. And without further ado, I'm going to get uh, Hugo some Tums to settle down that stomach of his. And I want you to enjoy listening to Chris Barnwall break down the first two games of the 2015-2016 Hornets season. Let's do it. So, Chris, you've you've been watching these two games. Give us the the cliff notes, the TLDR version of why the Hornets are 0 and 2. <clears throat> well, the defense hasn't been as good as it's been in the last couple of years, which I guess is to be expected when you have when you lose Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and there's going to be an expected drop, obviously. And their transition defense, in particular, has just been strangely off. Like of all things, for them to be losing, like taking a step back in, that's the one area you think they'd be fine. Because theoretically, that's just okay. You take the shot and run back. But I think that might be an effect of the new offense is a bit faster. Like they had a very slow pace the last couple of years. This year, they're firing up three pointers, which is creating long rebounds, which is 
letting teams just sprint back down the floor and hit a three-pointer, and I think they're not quite ready yet for that. I like that you you mentioned that point in particular because I've been paying close attention to the transition defense these first two games. It's something that Clifford harps on a lot. Right now they are fifth worst in the NBA in fast break points allowed, and of those seven worst teams, uh, four are 0 and 2, including the Hornets, and then two are 1 and 1, and one Toronto is somehow uh, 2 and 0. Uh, we got to figure out what what they're doing north of the border uh, to allow that many fast break points and, and still win two games. Uh, but I think because you know you always hear like oh they're not getting back on defense, and and when I look at the tape, it seems like everyone's getting back, everyone's hustling back for the most part. But there's some communication issues going on. There's there's people not spreading out. There's guys being confused about what their assignment is on the fast break. And, and I think you're going to have that with, with all of the new guys, right? Right. Like people just aren't used to playing with each other yet. And this is kind of where you see the loss of Ken Gilchrist. Is one thing that he was able to do last year that you're going to see is he was kind of like that free safety kind of guy that, all right, he can grab whoever has the ball and everyone else can kind of spread out. Like mm. he could cause like a three-second disruption just enough to give people time to set up. So they're obviously missing that. But it's definitely a case, I think, where they're just not quite sure of where they need to be yet, which is to be expected. The season just started, and a lot of these players haven't played with each other yet. I think the worst offenses of the transition defense problem have probably been the back of unit, which is almost all new people. And I think one thing that's really interesting is that you, you see the Hornets, they had all of the preseason success and everyone says, oh, it's only preseason. And they're right to the extent that the game speeds up tremendously. I mean, both, oh, both, both the, so heat, the Heat and the Hawks just kicked it into another gear. And you especially see that when you compare the Heat game that the Hornets played in the preseason to the season opener. I mean, those two games were just played at completely different speeds. And if your communication, if you're, mental, uh, if you're not mentally prepared for that, then then both those teams will hurt you, and, and they certainly hurt the Hornets. Right, and let's not say like the Hornets are have a disaster here. Like They did fine. We expect most of this to get better. Like I want to say last year they struggled on defense at the beginning as well. There's, we've still seen a lot of really good things from them, and particularly on offense. The offense looks so much better this year, even if it's not producing the points yet. And really, I think once they kind of settle in and figure out some of these problems and some of the new guys get used to playing with each other, they should get a little better, even if the talent – and obviously, honestly, the talent that they have been putting on the floor, just let's be fair here, it's not as good as Miami and Atlanta. Let's say if they started off with Philadelphia and uh, Los Angeles, like why wouldn't they be 2-0 right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's a good point, and I think that they've – you know, even though they played two really good teams in Miami and Atlanta, they did a good job of containing them defensively in the half court. You know, they just lost them in transition, and they did a great job of, you know, continuing to move the ball, continuing to get three good three point opportunities, even when the score wasn't necessarily going in their favor. So that's positive because I think you saw a lot last season, Chris, where when Al was struggling or when Kimba was struggling mightily, uh, they would either let up on defense or uh, they would just uh, get stuck in the mud in offense. And, and I think you're not seeing that as much with this new squad. So that's another positive. Uh, definitely not. Like, 
last year was just the offense was a disaster. If Al Jefferson or Kemba Walker couldn't get anything going, you, know, you were done for. This year, like, last night they attempted 33 pointers. That's an insane amount of attempts. And, it's gonna, and if they keep doing that, they're going to stay in games. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the new additions and how they're playing. Well, first of all, before we talk about these guys individually, let's talk about minutes distribution because I, you know, you expect a little bit of weirdness, especially when you add so many guys and you don't have established stars or superstars. You expect a little bit of of uh, some oddities in the the minutes distribution, but it's a little weird with the Hornets right now, don't you think? I mean, PJ, he starts, but then you don't see him for a couple of quarters. Frank Kaminsky gets six minutes in the first game, 13 minutes in the second game. What do you think's going on here? I think they're just trying to figure out what who works and plays well together. Like, And with Kaminsky's case, I think that's just a case of matchups and figuring out and him still figuring out how to be an NBA player. Like, I think once he figures out how to actually play NBA-level defense, he'll get a more consistent minutes role. As for, like, P.J. Harrison, I think they're just trying to figure out what units he fits well with. And also, I think that Jeremy Lin, they want to play Jeremy Lin with the, with the starters a lot. Like, they, that's a lineup they like going with. They like playing Lin next to Walker. So you're going to see Harrison's minutes take a drop-off later in the game when they try to get that lineup out there. But they also want to get, the reason they bring Lin off the bench is they want him with the second unit because he's very good at running that second unit. He's a very good point guard, so... But, I think that's the reason for, for those minutes, at least. But Lamb played so well in limited minutes last night, and I'm sure the you know the limited minutes had a lot to do with him still recovering from that uh, you know ankle injury. Only 14 minutes for Lamb, but I mean he was able to knock down four shots, uh, three three pointers, 11 points. I mean it was a a true spark off the bench. I mean I I just see Lamb eventually with his with his length and and if he can play even a moderate defense, you could put him beside Batum, I think. I would hope so, especially after all the hype he got in OKC for a really long time, just if he didn't shoot well there. So if he comes to Charlotte and starts shooting well and playing well, I, I definitely could see him getting that second spot. But, of course, it's only been a long game, so we're going to have to see a little more out of him. And he's probably going to have to earn some good graces with uh, Steve Clifford first, obviously, as well. I wonder if we've overrated Nick Batum as an individual defender. We probably have, but I don't think we were wrong to do so. I think Batum is a very good defender. He was a good defender in Portland. He's a good defender for France. Like The guy's a good defender. But when Kid Gilchrist got injured, there was a kind of an expectation among a lot of fans that he could just step up and replace him, and just he can't do that. Matum's a very good defender. He can't anchor a defense the way Kid Gilchrist was able to, and I think that kind of raised the expectations a little too high. Like this, you get a good. A lot of players in the NBA are very good defenders, but not all of them are the have are at that elite level of the Kawhi Leonard's, the Kid Gilchrist's, the Tony Allen's. Like Matum's not that. That said, he's still a very good defender. I think Batum is a very good team defender, and he's great at recovery, and, and part of that comes from just his physical tools, long arms, et cetera, et cetera. But as an individual defender, 
I mean, Dwayne Wade tore him apart. And he. Now, in, now in his defense, Dwayne Wade tears a lot of people apart. <laughs> well, right. But I mean, look, I, I'm just saying, it, it looked bad. And not in like a, oh, well, Dwayne Wade just hit another gear kind of thing. Because PJ, in contrast, and I think this is why, and this is why I bring it up, I think this is why you're seeing PJ play early in the game because PJ a little quicker, a little more willing to stay with a guy, even if he has to foul them. And hes I think P.J. is the compliment to Nick Batum because P.J. seems like a better, you know, just one-on-one individual defender where Nick Batum is a little better at, at help defense at being a team defender. That might be fair. I, I need to watch Batum play up against a few more guys to be entirely sure. Wait a minute! But you're you're not ready. Wait, listen. You're not ready to make a prediction after two games. How dare you? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just I'm just sort of talking out. I'm just sort of talking out what I'm seeing. That's all. That's all this is. I'm just trying to. Oh right, I understand. You know. I understand. What I think the Tim's thing is is a a lot of defenders like him, who are good defenders. What they're good at do. What makes them good defenders is they're good at playing to the scheme. Like. I'm going to use Jameer Nelson as an example. Jameer Nelson over in Denver is someone that is not a good individual defender technically because he is small, people are faster than him, and just he can't get around guys. But what he is really good at doing is he's very strong, so he will push players in the direction he wants them to go. So if they're trying to go baseline, he will push you center towards the big man. I think what Batum does is because of his length, he he tries to do that. So, but because he's in a new scheme here, he's not entirely sure how to play people individually yet. And plus, it's very difficult to push people towards the big man when the big men at the rim are Martin Williams and Al Jefferson. Right. So he needs to kind of, he's probably also trying to figure out Steve Clifford's new scheme where on the perimeter, you're not getting that help. You are on your own in a Steve Clifford perimeter defense because he wants to bring you down to help the big men when the ball goes down low. So he's probably trying to figure that out as well. Let's evaluate what you've seen so far out of Frank Kaminsky. Again, uh, only six minutes in the first game. He finally got his first bucket against the Atlanta Hawks, uh, knocking down an above-the-break three-pointer. And then a nice little teardrop floater. Our friends at uh, WFNZ 610, the fan, Nada and Colin, terming it the uh, Cruiser, which I like. Ooh, I like that. I like that, the Cruiser, Uh, with a K, not a C. Of course. I like that because it's kind of hard to have a teardrop when you're taller than the rim. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, so he, I think he's slowly starting to get into a groove. And there's always, I think, two schools of thinking on playing rookies. You know, some like the baptism by fire. You you send them out there for 25 minutes, no matter how poorly or or, or well they're playing. Or you you slowly introduce them to a rotation and and force them in a way to earn their spot or, or earn more minutes, and it looks like that's what Clifford has set up for Kaminsky here. Yeah, that's probably what he has done, and that's that's pretty much his history of rookies, especially with since the last few years, his team has had playoff aspirations, so he likes to he prefers to bring them along and see if they can fit into the rotation. Zeller started off a little slow with minutes and then eventually built them up as he gained uh, NBA playing ability. Noah Bonley last year didn't play at all because he was just a project player and not ready for the NBA yet, which 
he's obviously more ready now because he's plucked down. And he has a situation where he can play over in Portland, so that's that thing. Um, but Kaminsky, from what I've seen out of him, I don't I don't hate what I'm seeing. He's not forcing things. A lot of rookies come to the NBA and they will immediately want to like make an impact, so they start forcing stuff. He's picking his shots. I would kind of prefer him to be a little bit aggressive, but when he does play, when he does look for his shot, I like what he looks for. In particular, he had a moment in the first game where he posted up. I don't remember who he posted up, but he posted up his man, and he made a very nice move to get to the basket, but because he doesn't have the NBA strength yet, he just couldn't get enough strength behind the shot. But I really liked what he did there because it was a smart shot in a good situation, and I would love to see him do it again. He's moving the ball really well. He's uh, His jump shot looks fine. Just once he kind of figures out that NBA speed, I think he'll be really, really fine in a 15-minute role. I think it's interesting when you look across the the spectrum of these first two games, the Hornets still don't have one player that's that's breaking out and saying, you know, most nights I'm going to take the scoring load. And it's it can be a little troubling when you consider that Al Jefferson, I think his role offensively, and they talked about this in the preseason and the offseason, that his role offensively would start to become more limited. But with that, you're not seeing really another guy step up and say, I'm going to take the load offensively. Does that concern you? It does, only because all the good team, all the really good teams have that. But this team's goal is to just get to the playoffs right now and make it to the point where because they're going to have a lot of cap space coming in soon. I think their goal is to just find that in free agency or somewhere or through a trade of some sort. Because right now, just none of these players have that ability. I mean, if they kept, if they have to say to someone, okay, go get us a bucket, they're probably going to go towards Al Jefferson or Kimball Walker. But Walker is just not a great shooter. We pretty much have to accept that at this point. And Jefferson, like you He's getting old, and it's getting more difficult for him to do that. I mean, he's still very fine at doing that because he has that incredible post game. but it's just he can't continue to be relied on to get 20 points a night. So they're going to have to really rely on their three-point shooting and play that Memphis Grizzlies style of, well, everyone has to kind of chip in here. I think age is definitely a factor without Jefferson, but also, as we saw in the Miami game and also in this Atlanta game for stretches, there are going to be points in the season where Clifford simply cannot play Al Jefferson because of his defensive liabilities. And right, it, and it's not and it's not even like the usual stuff where it's like he's not putting up his hand because as some player drove against him. It's like, oh, this big man can shoot threes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Chris Bosch is at the five. You can't put Al Jefferson on Chris Bosch. I, I mean, unless right. you, you unless you, you want just to can't lose. Do that. Right, exactly. Down 10. And and that's what Clifford brought up post-game against Miami, that you know, in, in a close-game situation like we saw against Atlanta, you, you can kind of get away with with playing uh, with playing Al. But when you're down 10, there's just no way. Right, and Bosch is an even much better shooter than Horford is a three right now, which also contributed to that. But even so, like, I completely agree. Just it's not a slight against Al Jefferson, just that's the way it is. Like, if you notice in that Heat game, they weren't playing Hassan Whiteside because at the end of the game because the Hornets were going with the Cody Zeller and Marvin Williams lineup. 
which those guys can stretch the floor a little, and they're not going to want Whiteside out there against that. And, and that's just an evolution of the NBA. I mean, you're seeing it uh, much quicker than I think a lot of NBA analysts uh, would have thought this would happen, is teams going super small uh, and, and stretching the floor to its breaking point. And so guys like Hassan Whiteside and guys like Al Jefferson get forced out of the game normally. And, and we saw this a lot last year. Like you would force Al Jefferson out of the game just by simply double-teaming him. And now you don't even have to do that. You just play the chess game and and put the pieces in there that, that forces Clifford's hand. And, and that's that's troubling. I think Clifford wants to get Al Jefferson in there. Like we saw him last night. He didn't pull Jefferson when Al Horford started blowing out to that uh, three-point line. So I think he's still trying to figure out how he wants to do that for him. It's just it's a little difficult to play Jefferson because he's so slow-footed against those uh, bigger guys that can shoot threes. But I think as the season goes on, we'll see him playing in those situations a little more. But you're right. Like in the fourth quarter and uh, – eight point four point game and Chris Bosch is out there, we might see Jefferson on the bench because just they can't risk that three point shot. What is good this is the tough this is the toughest question I'm going to ask you, Chris, hands down. What is going on with Cody Zeller? <laughs> what is going on with this guy? Uh he played extremely well. What it was perfect, like fourteen for fourteen in the preseason, you know, early on. Uh shooting threes, hitting threes and we come into the regular season, Zeller doesn't make the starting rotation. <laughs> Last night against the Hawks, his plus-minus was uh, minus 27. I'm sure that's <laughs> ske- I'm sure that's skewed by something. I think the Hawks individual plus individual plus-minus wins again. <laughs> right. I mean, the, I think he was in there for that entire 20 to six Hawks run in in the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter. So that probably didn't help. But he's certainly not playing the way that I think fans were expecting him to play after that preseason. Uh, if you look back to our post we had go up recently about uh, the roundtable for the season preview, my pick actually for the biggest step back was Cody Zeller because I was very concerned about how he was going to fit into this new offense because he's just not quite the three-point shooter yet. And... He, we saw in his rookie season that he kind of takes things on a little slowly when it comes to change. Like he's not, in, he kind of takes a little while to figure out how he wants to do it. Once he gets it, like he's fine, and he's still a very good player. Like this is still a very quick guy, someone that can move off the ball, someone that can do a little pick and pop. He's not a, an incredible rim protector yet, which is going to uh, really cause problems for him in this uh, new uh, system because. Like they're gonna need someone to go down there without the, because without that kid Gilchrist backing everyone up, they're gonna need a guy like Zeller or like Marvin Williams to come down and really uh, impact on defense. And Williams is probably a better defender than Zeller right now. But really, I think his biggest problem is just he's trying to figure out how to play in this new system. He's trying to figure out where he needs to be, how to get his shots. But I mean, if you look at what he's doing besides that, like. Defensively, he's still in a lot of the right areas, and uh, on setting screens, he's still doing fine. He's still doing a lot of that stuff well. It's just offensively, he's like, I have no idea what I need to, where I need to be. There was a lot of talk in the offseason, a lot of excitement around the, the prospects of a Jeremy Lin, Kimball Walker combo, and so far, you, I, I feel like you have to give it pretty high marks. I mean, a 118 offensive rating, 94 defensive rating. I, you. 
that was the concern, right? That the defense was going to lapse with two smaller guys uh, as your front line. So that has to be encouraging to see that they can hold their own defensively. Oh, I love when they play together. It's gone so well because Walker's biggest issue the past couple of years has been he hasn't had a, too many creators with him to help him out. This year with Batum and with Lynn, that, that's just it's working out so great for them because they all can create, they can all get the ball to each other, to each other or to other guys. Like there's no confusion, there's no over dribbling. Just it's working out so incredibly well. And Lynn and Walker are just playing great together. And Lynn, I mean, for a long time, his uh, reputation was that he couldn't really shoot the three ball well. He's proven that wrong so far in Charlotte. He is shooting that ball decently enough to where it's a threat. And that's really helping him out as well. Yeah, it's absolutely a threat. And he's doing it in a variety of different ways and catch and shoot. And he can get his own shots. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been impressive. And you can see, you can see the defense of, of Atlanta and the defense of Miami reacting to both of those guys scurrying around uh, and, and both of the and they're just so quick one well, and they love to go under the basket and any I feel like any time a really fast guy like Kimba Walker or Jeremy Lin get underneath the basket and start messing around it, it just completely disrupts a defense if they do it right and I think both of these guys so far have been really working that area to to the advantage of the offense Right, and one thing, how one way that works is when you have three-point shooters like Batum and Marvin Williams out there, when you get a guy under the basket, it causes a collapse, and that just gives you a very easy pass lane, a passing lane to those. Or you have a Cody Zeller cutting to the basket, easy passing lane to him. Or Al Jefferson right there, easy passing lane to him. Just When you get these guys to can penetrate as well as they can, it creates so much for you. Anything else you're seeing? Anything else you're concerned about? Anything else that you uh, think is is a big positive or step in the right direction for this team? As far as positives go, I mean the passing is a lot more crisp, which I mean that's a very good thing because if you're going to play this style of offense where you're going to shoot a lot of three pointers, you got to get you got to move the ball and you got to pass a lot. A concern would probably be the turnovers, but let's be honest here. The only reason the Hornets were as well as not turning the ball over as they were last year is because they dribbled so much that they couldn't turn over the ball. Yeah, I mean, those, yeah, that's that's a great point. Like the turnovers that you worry about are the the over dribbling turnovers, and I think we saw our fair share of those against uh, Atlanta last night. So I think those are the ones you're concerned about. Uh, but when you're trying to work a ball inside and and it gets tipped, it gets disrupted, and and it gets turned over, they call it what the creator tax. I mean, you're you're okay with those turnovers to a certain extent, um, right? And I think once they figure out, like I said, a lot of this is still trying to figure out how to play together. Once mm-hmm. they do, that'll probably drop a little. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay, so th- they get the rematch against Atlanta tomorrow. What are you expecting to see out of the Hornets? Do you, do you think that they can uh, come up with a game plan to to get them over the hump and and get that first W? I think we're going to see a lot of the same stuff we saw uh, last night. But hopefully they won't have that bad stretch in the uh, what was it the third quarter where in the early fourth where they just they they couldn't stop a they looked like Swiss cheese right because look I mean let's be honest like Atlanta missed a lot of layups they missed a lot of easy looks as well and the Hornets their legs got tired late they were very tired late 
Right. So, and like, you know, they're going to be a little bit more rested. So the Hornets are going to have to hit open jumpers and not turn the ball over if they have any chance to win. Right. And like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of the same because I don't think right now the Hornets are playing by matchups too much. Obviously they're going to play by them a little, but I think for the most part, their goal is to just figure out their offense, get their system in place, get that offense going, get that defense going, get guys comfortable playing with each other. And then in like December, they can worry about, okay, we're playing uh, Miami tonight. Let's uh, give, let's, let's reduce it Al Jefferson's minutes because you don't want to play him up against Chris Bosch. I love Chris's optimism about the direction that the Hornets are taking. And, and I think it's legitimate. It's not forced. Because even though the Hornets are 0-2, and, and look, let's, let's be honest, guys and gals. If the Hornets had tied that game, if, if Kimball Walker hits that shot, they go into overtime, and the Hornets pull it out. I don't know if I feel differently about this team than I do at this exact moment. I'm still concerned about the turnovers. I'm still excited about the three-point opportunities. I'm still wondering if they'll ever hit a wide-open jump shot. But I don't feel any different if we're, if the team is one and one. Now, the Hornets go into another tough stretch. They've got to play the Bulls after the Hawks. Then... They've got to play Dallas, which is a very winnable game, but then they have to play the Spurs, which is a very not winnable game. (laughs) But I think that it's easy to be optimistic about this team because the, the fun factor, the watchability factor is there. You just, and, and they made a point on the broadcast to talk about this a lot. Clean it up. That may be, that may end up be this being the slogan of this team. Clean it up. They just have to clean up the turnovers, clean up the mental mistakes, clean up the transition defense, and the Hornets could be a factor in this Eastern playoff race. Don't let the record so far fool you. Thanks for listening. Again, we're almost at 10,000. That's amazing. You guys are awesome. Keep tweeting us at Hive Talk Live, Instagram at Hive Talk Live. We're vining a lot now. That's a thing you kids are doing. We're doing it. We're trying. We're putting up video analyzing what's going on. We put up Frank's two buckets last night. We'll keep doing that as we can, uh, you know, as, uh, until we get in trouble for it. <laughs> I don't know. Until we get our Twitter banned, like poor Deadspin. But until then, thanks for listening again. November 7th, come out to Fitzgerald's Pub, 6.30 p.m. Join us live. We'll be We'll be back on Tuesday to talk more about the Hornets, about this Hawks game, and preview what's coming up. Thanks for listening. Let's warm, Charlotte. Mm-hmm.